to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 122. We're in our new studio today. Uh, me and Ryan Ray. I'm your host, Josh Shelton. Ryan, man, this, uh, this studio is pretty fancy, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Yeah, we kind of get some... Uh some kind of backdrop and i'm curious how the audio will sound obviously our lovely voices are here we're present uh we can see nate over there in the corner but um nate can't see nate you can't be seen can you no i cannot okay so nate can't can't be seen seen. but i'm curious how the audio is gonna sound really because me and you have been in here every day basically working on this nate was here like half a day wednesday so if the audio is not great we you know we know who to blame Yep, Nate has taken more responsibility for the audio. He is. Uh, He's the producer. Where does the talent? Where does the talent? Okay, we show up, we put on high quality content. If it sounds like garbage, if it doesn't make sense, if anything goes wrong, who do you blame? Nate. Why do you blame Nate? Because he's the producer. He's producing this content for us. So, um, but you know what, Josh? We did get a little swag in the mail today from the folks. The Landman Life. www.landmanlife.com. A road trip to nowhere. See, Nate didn't give me the cue. He didn't. Did you? Did you have the? Didn't have a cue. You didn't have the cue. I mean, I got the. I got this like six weeks after they sent it, but I didn't have the. I was about to say we. Nate had these for a few weeks before we did, and like. You know, I was at Nate's house this weekend. I saw a box full of these things in the corner over there. I don't know. I mean, I got one. I mean, you got. So thank you to the folks at Landman Life. Um, what's that website again, Nate? www.landmanlife.com. Yeah, we've been interacting with us on Twitter. Um, blame Nate for not having the script correct. That's a pretty cool little double other. Anyways, so but brings me to a larger point. We need an address out so people can send us free swag because... We love free swag, and uh, we'll get you free swag out here on the show. Preferably cash swag is the favorite. We do accept Bitcoin swag. Um, check swag can be traced and taxed, so let's, let's stay away from that. But, you know, any kind of swag we'll take, generally speaking. If you're going to send that kind of swag, <laughs> don't to, send it to Nate. Don't send it to Nate. <laughs> <laughs> but we do thank the folks at Landman Life for sending the koozies. Um when Nate's gone, we might crack up on a cold beverage and, and use them properly. R squared climate company policy prevents us from drinking alcohol while dealing with any land-based uh, work, Ryan. We're in the War Room Media Studios today, so um, so I'll let you, I'll let you parse all that so out. So I should have brought my founder's beer. Yeah, well, I mean, I, as, as the owner of R squared Global, I cannot confirm more than that what you should have. <laughs> I'm just telling you where we are, which is the War Room Media Studios, so... <laughs> But yeah, let us know how it sounds. You know, textualguestpodcast.com, LinkedIn, let us know. We got some different mics up. Um, obviously, that's our first. We kind of played around with it a little bit, but I'm curious to see how it sounds. And, uh, you know, obviously, we'll be tweaking stuff over the coming weeks and kind of sprucing the studio up. It looks like, it looks like you know, if you went to college, which I went for like a day, but if you went to college and you went to a dorm room that a bunch of guys lived in, this is kind of what this office represents is, you know, like a, like a man, a man, young man's dorm room almost. There's there's trash, there's boxes, there's some tables, some books, but uh, it's it does not have the women's touch. We can say that safely, I think. College students don't read books, Ryan. Uh, that's okay. That's true. That's true. Post-grad. <laughs> Well, Ryan, there was a few uh, stories that came out this week. Um, 
you know, the, the first one came from yourbasin.com, Texas oil and gas production statistics for June. So uh, all around the, the production is, is decreasing. Um, in general, uh, some of the rigs have, have been going down, which we're going to get to that in a moment. Uh, the overall production, though, I believe, was setting a record for the year. Um, I, I read that in other articles. So uh, it's interesting to see the situation. Uh, there's a, a, quite a few things that are coming together right now that are you know, putting a, a little bit of a squeeze on the market in terms of uh, the vendor side and the producers. Yeah, it's, you know, as you mentioned, the rig count's dropping. Um, I guess some more stories we're going to get to. It's it's a trend that we're going to see with soft prices, uh, as our buddy Speakner, which, you know, he hasn't sent me a cryptic message lately, so Speakner, we're ready for your your commentary. I enjoyed the the Prophet of Doom segments we had on the show. But anyways, you know, when the whale's drilled, it obviously takes a little while for the the whale to get online, but we're, we're losing rigs. And so we will see a decrease in production eventually, assuming the ducks, we're talking about the ducks in a minute, I know, assuming the, the ducks don't come online um, and kind of help prop up production. So the question I think, Josh, is is how long does this trend continue? You know, how, how soft really is the market right now? And there's things that we just can't answer. We can't answer things like, you know, how much is it, someone like Speakner says, which is investors don't have confidence in oil and gas companies right now. Um, is, is that going to keep them from, you know, funding them, you know, continually investing them? Uh, if that happens, then as he kind of prophesized, the, the, you'll, you'll see mass bankruptcies, which means rigs will come off, um, less wells will be drilled. But the price has to respond to that at some point. We saw last week when the Ramco bombing happened, the price bounced up for like a day, but it's still not that high. So I think as we go through this next, you know, this third quarter, fourth quarter, it's interesting to see how the market looks at all this. Will a trade war get done um, with China? That will be one thing to watch. You know, will the production, how far will it fall? If it does fall, will the ducks come into play? All those are things that we're, that we're going to see, you know, how it impacts the market and how the market actually reacts. Because at some point, if you keep going, you know, we also talk about going up to the right is good. If you're going down to the right, at some point, the price does have to lift. I mean, you can't keep going right. Eventually, you don't, you can't be silly with it. Eventually, you would run out of oil. So, production at some point has to pick back up or level off or, or whatever. So, it's going to be interesting to see. And we talked about this. If we go back to the beginning of the show, we're kind of, you know, two years ago, we're kind of a new phase now. And, and the way the news reacts, the way the markets react is all different. And this is just kind of a different spot we're in right now with the trade war, with investors frustrated with what's going on in oil and gas. Where will things end up? I don't know. Um, but some of the problems that we talked about um, that weren't necessarily bad problems, they're just market problems. Some of those things are fleshing themselves out. We're talking about another pipeline, but those things are kind of fleshing themselves out now. So um, if you want to put your, your product down a pipe, it's going to be a little bit cheaper than it was two years ago. And mentioning that, uh, the, the rig count, we have an article here, the rig count dropped uh, in Texas to 423, uh, which is the lowest that it's been in more than two years. Um, so the, the rig counts are dropping. I, I'm, it's curious to see, you know, some of the efficiencies with some of the, the rigs have increased. So I'm not sure how much production uh, has, has dropped or even if it has dropped, even though the rigs are. Uh, that would be something interesting to, to keep an eye on. Well, it's very interesting along with this, Ryan, is two things that kind of go together is the U.S. crude pipelines lower rates amid competition. Uh, so the, the bottleneck that we've been talking about um, 
it appears that that, that bottleneck has opened up and is no longer a, a significant issue. So looking at the rig count and the rigs going down and then the bottleneck kind of loosening up a little bit, um, two things are kind of hitting at the same time. And so, like you said, at some point, you should see production have to come back up, hopefully, um, you know, to fill those pipelines. I mean, we need that to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, so we've been talking about this. We said end of, you know, we didn't predict it. It was just what the the experts were saying was third, fourth quarter this year. It could go in 2020. And we're, we're you know, I think probably second quarter is when this actually, feel, um, you know, kind of came to life. But we're here now where the pipeline a bottleneck issue is no longer something to be worried about. Um, so the prices are going to go down, which would, which will help producers. Back to your point about the rig count, you know, um, also in that piece from the Chronicle, uh, Aaron Douglas, it also mentioned, and this is kind of those stats that's kind of hard to make heads or tails of. It says the mining and lodging industry, which is Texas, which in Texas is dominated by the oil and gas industry, shed 1,800 jobs last month, cutting back the workforce for the third consecutive month. Now, as we talked about multiple times on the show, when you look at these statistics, they're not a representation of the industry, they're a representation of a segment of the industry, right? So this is a segment of the industry and, and it could represent larger patterns in the industry. Um, it, it may not because we don't just we just don't have enough data to actually understand what this means. Um, other than 1,800 people lost their job and that's the third consecutive month that, that this segment of the industry has cut back jobs. So those are all things, um, you know, it, you know, it, it's 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 interesting because you're getting these these points and you go, okay, well, um, rigs are falling, pipeline prices are cheap. You know, you you, you expect the market to rebound, but you got the trade war out there. You've got a war with Iran. You've got all these things, and it, it's really, I don't, want, I hate to say it's a unique time in history because you can say that about a lot of things, but it's an interesting time in history because I, I don't know where we go from here. Do we have to take off a certain percentage of barrels of the market? Do we also need a trade deal? And then the counter to all that is, Josh, is that if Trump somehow brings Venezuelan or uh, Iranian barrels back on the market, that actually hurts the price, right? Because if if Iran starts putting massive barrels on the market, and we can debate how much barrels they actually can put on, but they start putting barrels back on the market, it doesn't help Texas producers because that would soften the price. Venezuela, I don't think they're... Um, I think theoretically, Iranian production could ramp up a lot quicker than uh, Venezuelan, just because of the the financial states of the comp- the countries. But that's either here or there. But if Venezuelan barrels start coming back onto the market, that would again soften the prices. So you have some things that are going internationally that could impact the Texas oil and gas market, like the trade deal. That would be a boon for the economy, you would think. But then you got other things where if if, if they go a certain way, it could actually hurt the the price soften the price of oil so um again it's it's you're right the we're seeing the pipeline prices fall we're seeing the rig counts fall and everybody talk about the ducks um, you're seeing jobs being cut and it's gonna go the price is gonna soften back up i think on some level but soften back up from 58 probably to 52 or, or wherever kind of stay in this range has been in it was bumped by the um the aramco attack but Final thing on the Ramco attack, just to, wow, whether we got an article we might get to today or may not, but you know, I think last week we said um, there was reports that 40% of production for Ramco was going to be back online, but now there are talks of del- delay, you know, longer prolonged um, delays with getting the production back online. You know, how is the market going to react to that? Historically, 10 years ago, we kind of had an idea the market's going to be fearful. Right now, we, we just don't know how the market's going to react to this news. 
So on the ducks, Ryan, we actually released a report last week um, detailing some information about the ducks. And uh, and Ryan, you I think you did uh, some quite a bit of work on that. So I mean, what were some of the takeaways you you saw from that duck report, and and what are some things that um, that that should tell us about what to expect? Yeah, well, first off, this is EIA data, so keep that in mind. Um, and I'm not entirely convinced by the way the EIA collects the data that these duck numbers are accurate, but. We, we, you know, we, me and you don't know. We had the folks on from Kairos a few weeks ago or a month ago, whatever it was now, and they they obviously have a different opinion. But we're just looking at the EI data and saying, well, if that is true. Um, some of the things that stuck out to me were that essentially the ducks have increased since this – is, this is from January 2014 to August of uh, this year. The, the ducks have increased by 3,611. So 3,611 duck increase. The Permian ducks have increased by 3,839. Now, I'm not saying the Permian ducks are the reason the ducks are increasing, Josh, but, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's interesting if you look at the, 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 the duck increase. And it also makes you wonder, you know, we've talked about the viability of some of these other ducks um, that have been out there. You know, you get some, you've basically, the Permian, without getting too much in the weeds, is the main source of the increase of the ducks. You have 200 ducks and change that are from other areas. Um, but if you look at it, you say, well, the Appalachian and the Iberra, those are the only two spots from January 2014 that have actually decreased ducks. Now, the Appalachia went from 1257 to 517. The Niobrara only decreased by a few from 459 to 438. The Balkan and the Hainsville are close to balancing it back out or decreasing it. But again, the Permian, that's where all the ducks are at, and that's where they're accumulating. You know, we talk about prices, prices staying soft, pipelines being cheap. Will these ducks come on as the rigs go down if there are this many ducks? If there are as many ducks as the EIA says that there is, will we see um, will we see the, the ducks come online? Which would mean the price would continue to stay soft. So you have cheap pipelines capacity. You've, put, you've already put a lot of money into the well. Now you go ahead and put it online. Um, that can continue to keep the prices soft. The final thing is, there was a little bit of good news for the report, is that the peak ducks for the Permian was in March of this year at 8,246. Um, and so we are down. I don't have the number where we're at for right now with the Permian. Um, I think it's somewhere in my notes. But anyways, um, we are down some in the Permian overall. But you look at it and you go, okay, well, the rig's dropping off. If the ducks come online... If there are that many ducks in the Permian, they do start coming online. You know that could extend the prices staying soft for you know a decent amount of time. Of course, we don't know what kind of wells they are, how good they are, how viable they are. But there's a lot of things we don't know. Uh, we don't actually know if there are this many. But just kind of as we're talking painting this narrative, this is one of those things. So let's recap. You've got uh, the duck narrative. Okay, we don't. No one knows. Remember what they say. No one knows what what's going to happen to ducks. And let's break that down. Why? Josh has ducks, Ryan has ducks, Nate has ducks. My motivation for ducks may or may not be the same as yours. Yours may or may not be the same as Nate, and you keep going on and on. So we all have ducks. We don't know what our motivation is unless we say it publicly. We don't know what's going to motivate us to finish those, right? You might be trying to finish yours but or turn yours online, but your, 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 your crews are just behind. So you're not holding anything back. They just simply haven't gotten there. I might be looking for a certain price point. So there could be different motivations. We don't, And we can't judge that. We can't take all these ducks and make a monolithic statement. We do it to follow the ducks to see what happens with those. So you have that. You have what's going to happen with China. 
You have what's going to happen with, with Iran, what's going to happen with Venezuela. Obviously, we had the presidential election, um, and then you know you could have a bombing like at Aramco. Those are just the narratives as we move through the end this year into next year. We have to we have to kind of watch and see how they play out and how these things converge. And obviously, there's things that could happen that we can't even predict right now. That you know. Um, that could have a dramatic impact on the price of oil. But those are just some things I wanted to make sure that we talk about the listeners. Um, as, as you listen to people talk, these are things and how they shake out and you know what impact do they have over the next you know six months, eight months, or you know, until these issues are resolved. You know, Ron, you know, one of the big opportunities you know, for something for people to keep an eye on, you know, China's a big one. Uh, there's also a pretty big market in India. Uh, so a Houston company, um, they had a Modi, they had an energy roundtable, and they are, uh, I believe, signing a $2.5 billion deal uh, with Houston liquefied natural gas exporter Tellurian and Indian natural gas importer Petronet LNG. So. Uh, there's some Indian opportunities there with some you know, pretty massive um, gas operations that they're, they're trying to get that, that gas exported. So there's all of these things that, that could be going on as well, which could be huge drivers for, uh, for the gas market. And, and you, know, I, you would hope that this would cause the gas prices to, to, to bump up just a little bit, you know, that the increased demand would hopefully make it more profitable for these companies to, to move their gas from from these basins because I know companies are getting pretty hammered on this right now. Well, the, the first takeaway I took was I've announced my affiliation with the Bush China Foundation and then Sergio tries to one-up me by writing about U.S.-India deals. So it's like, I mean, what do we have to do to distinguish ourselves from Sergio? I mean, we're, you know, it, it almost feels like when we create a narrative about U.S. foreign relations, then now he's right on. I thought he was a domestic energy guy. What did you think? Yeah, well, apparently he's uh, he's trying to compete with uh, compete with us on the podcast. With some of the some of the connections that we're making, but I mean, you know, we're we're you know, we're it's Sergio, bro. It's I mean, at this point, it's kind of obvious, but we will talk about your story, give a little juice because we do love you. Um, no, it's you know, listen. There's there's some interesting things in here, and I think Sergio does a good job of pointing out something later on in the piece. It says, going forward into, this is a quote, going forward into 2030 and 2040, India is going to be the largest growth for uh, market for energy. China grew a lot over the past couple of decades, but it's stabilizing. From here on out, India is going to need a lot of energy because they're still they're still behind in terms of GDP. Um, and that, that's an interesting perspective that we have to remember. You can look at the growth of the U.S. GDP, okay? Well, the, the U.S. is one of the top or most sophisticated, developed, however you want to say that, economies in the world. This goes back to the percentage talk we talked about last week, right? Um, you look at the Chinese economy growth, and it could grow by double digits. Well, it has a long way to catch up to where we're at. We look at something like India, and if they are behind China, you could see massive percentage growth, which will also, because we're talking about GDP, will increase the overall wealth of the country, which means they will have more energy. Which is why when we talk about energy demand and energy need on the show, it's so frustrating. We talk about people cutting out oil and gas. If people in India need this natural gas, Josh, and we quit drilling, where do they get it from? Well, not from us, right? They get it from maybe Qatar or you know somewhere else, Australia, wherever it is. Um, and so it's, it's very frustrating to, to do this. The other thing that's also kind of um, interesting about India, if you go look at the price of gasoline in India, it's really expensive. So it's it's a there's a comment here about. 
India wants to go to 100% electric vehicles by 2030. That's to decrease its dependency on foreign oil. That's not going to happen because they tax the dog snot out of their gas. And so where would that tax revenue money come from? Um, so I, there's some of this, and this is Sergio reporting. He does a great job breaking it down. But it's some of these things where you read some of this and you go, okay, oh, wow, well, you know, what are we going to do past 2030? India ain't getting off of foreign oil. They ain't getting off foreign gas because they are, you know, one thing we know about government is they like to tax you. And so <laughs> they're not going to give up their tax dollars to go to electrical vehicles, electric vehicles, unless they figure there's a way to do it. Um, but yeah, good for the U.S. We want long-term trade deals with partners around the world. We want to be able to broker deals. We want to be able to have long-term friendships. And, you know, obviously we kind of have more of a free market background, but if you if you said, well, a free market's not really my thing, I'm more of a U.S. best interest, um, kind of a, a um, an outlook on what's the best for the USA, USA, well, the USA providing energy to other countries instead of our enemies would be a better um, position to be as well, instead of us not providing it, and we can lose a potential ally because we're not providing energy with them. You mentioned uh, the fact that the government likes to uh, to tax its people. Um, interesting. I, I didn't I didn't pull it up, but uh, the article came out where New Mexico was thinking about giving free college tuition. And hey, I was I might actually get to graduate. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, <laughs> Ryan. We just did a report last week though that said that they wanted to be um, clean energy by 2030. Yeah. So, you know, the bulk of their tax money that would they would use to fund the college would right. be gone within a few years if they were to see through their energy, you know. Yeah, how does that work? Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It you know, they, interesting. They don't think about that. I mean, well, you, can't, you can't do both. Yeah, I mean, I think they do think about it, but, you know, I don't know. They're not very smart people. So, But, yeah, it, it is interesting. So, yeah. um, What do you always say, Ryan? Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> I learned it from those guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I did see that story, and... It's so funny because, as you point out, hey, you know, we're taxing oil and gas people. We're, we're making tons of tax dollars off of, of sales tax dollars off of people who are in our state and business taxes and all kinds of stuff. Um, and yet you don't want them. You know, it, it you do wonder what the people actually think. Like how, are they are they they can't be that naive. I mean, you know, at our Australia Global, because I own the business, I know where the money comes from. The governor of the state surely can read the budget and say, well, where does this money come from? Right. So you, you, you just have to wonder, are they, I mean, listen, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I can figure out basic stuff like that. So I think it's fair to, fair to question, um, you know, what their motivations are or, or why, they, why they do things the way they do them, which, I, which if I had the answer for, I guess, you know, I'd be a billionaire, but you know, I, I don't have the answer for why politicians do what they do. Uh, now for the Texas Roundup section. Uh, lots of stories came out this week, uh, some with uh, the produced water. Uh, I know there's a study going on in Texas that are looking at the way Texas and New Mexico are dealing with the water solutions. There was a report that came out, Sustainable Produced Water Policy, Regulatory Framework, and Management in the Texas Oil and Gas Industry 2019 and Beyond. Uh, there was an event, IPAA, where Wayne Christensen uh, was there speaking, and uh, they were addressing the, the water issue that is developing, especially in West Texas. An uh, article came out also, Aramco's repairs could take uh, months longer than company anticipates, so this could be something to keep an eye on. Maybe you could um, hold the prices a little higher than, uh, than what was originally thought. 
I haven't checked on the petroleum reserve, or I did check uh, the strategic petroleum reserve. I didn't find anything on it that would conclusively tell me one way or another whether it was tapped into or not. Um, just kind of yeah. a nip. I don't think it was. I think there is a. I think they are going to release in. Um, okay, I think October, November. I think they have a planned release at that point. But no, they they didn't tap into it during this. Uh, there was a study that came out from the Journal of Petroleum Technology. Um, basically, as uh, dealing with ducts, simply put, the ducts that were drilled earlier produced a little bit more. But they go on to say in the report that the numbers aren't um, so significant that they would be conclusive. Uh, so they were comparing one to two years after drilling, completing it, versus three to four years after drilling, completing it. Um, but interesting report. If anyone wants to check it out, we'll link that in the show notes. Uh, Pedevco raises $25 million through private offering to fund Permian Basin de- development and acquisitions. Uh, that's um, Pedevco, so uh, something to keep an eye on there. U.S. shale output to rise to record 8.8 million barrels per day in October. Uh, that's what I was referencing earlier, Ryan. The uh, 8.8 million barrels per day is the record for um, for U.S. shale production. So uh, even though the rig count has dropped not only nationwide but also in Texas, it seems that the production is still holding in pretty strong. Chenier and EOG Resources announce long-term gas supply agreements. Uh, I'm not going to go over too many of the details there. We'll link that in the show notes. Uh, but um, you know, we, we, we love to see these long-term uh, gas agreements. Hopefully, it'll bring some stability to the gas market. Permian child wells may cut oil recovery up to 20%, Bank says. This has been something that we've talked to on and off for about a year now. Uh, the the Permian child wells we think could could be attributing to some of these wells not producing uh, as well as they were originally anticipated to. So um, it says here that these child wells are cutting oil recovery up to 20%. And this is a bank that's saying this. So these are some of the investors that that are looking at some of these details. Hashtag Spigner. <laughs> <laughs> And last but not least, Railroad Commission of Texas hires more inspectors. This is an article that came out on the 20th. They're employing a record high 69 pipeline inspectors, according to the Railroad Commission of Texas. Those inspectors completed more than 4,800 pipeline safety inspections and issued more than 2,500 citations for violations in fiscal year 2019. And with that, Ryan, I think that wraps up the uh, the roundup for the day. Uh, is there anything else we wanted to, to mention or hit on before we uh, close yeah. it out? Yeah, if you're interested in doing business in China, you need to go to the Bush China event October 28th and 29th. Be sure to hit up me up for details. I can get you everything that you need to know about that. Um, I felt like we had another shout-out or something I was supposed to give to someone. Nate, can you remember? Nate doesn't know. Who produces the show, Josh? Nate. Nate does. So, you know, it's... Okay, so I'm blaming, send all hate mail to Nate. Nate, did you get hate mail over your asylum comment last week? I did not, no. Surprising. Please send the hate mail to Nate. I did get a bomb in the mail, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Bush on information has come up. We will have someone coming on to talk about that here 
October the 7th. Yep. So we'll have Robin Goodman on with the Bush China Foundation to speak about that. I believe that's it. Uh, be sure to check out Energy Week Podcast, Only Gas Contractors Connect, and bring in the closers. And until next time, keep it up. Yeah.